Before we begin, this is a podcast about terrorism, which means we do talk about acts of terrorism and extreme violence. So you may find some of the following materials upsetting. Hello, I'm Fatma Ahmed, your host and guide in this series of Taking Apart Terror, the West Africa edition. Together, we'll analyze the realities of violent extremism in West Africa and delve into the local, regional and international efforts and initiatives to prevent and counter violent extremism. In today's episode, we'll explore the question of what roles do women play in supporting and defeating terrorism? Joining me as we unpack this question are Kemi Okanyendu, Executive Director at the Rule of Law and Empowerment Initiative, also known as Partners West Africa Nigeria. We also have Ella Abata, who's a senior researcher at the Institute for Security Study, and Hadisa Mali Bukhara, who's a lecturer at Yoba State University. So let's get started. We often hear about the role of women in supporting terrorism and their role in violent extremist groups, but they, they also have the critical role of defeating terrorism. And in today's episode, we're really keen to unpack some of those dynamics and roles. So to start us off, what are the roles played by women in ISWAP? Perhaps, Ella, you would like us to start off the conversation. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'll be sharing with you some of the key findings from a research I have conducted in both Niger and Mali on women involvement, but also women resilience to violent extremism in those contexts. And I will not be speaking specifically on ISWAP. Uh, when there's a specific reference to ISWAP, I will make sure to specify it. From that research, we actually found out that women play multiple and diverse role for this group. We documented 13 roles that they play that we group in three categories, right? Traditional and domestic roles that women play for violent extremist groups, but also the productive role that they play. They do the work of their housework. Uh, they cook for this group. They wash for them. But they're also responsible for bringing up children. The second category of role that we documented uh, are support roles that women play for this group, such as informant, uh, providing them with intelligence or information, right, that help this group get strategic advantages. But they also recruit for them. They help them source uh, resources, uh, whether basic uh, necessities, such as food, medicine, but also material that this group use uh, to make improvised devices, for example, fertilizer that they use to make improvised explosive devices. So the third category of role that we documented, our operational role that women play uh, for violent extremist groups, uh, whether in Mali or, or Niger, they act as scouts or armory attendants, and sometimes they also deploy as suicide bomber. As part of this research, uh, we didn't document the role of suicide bomber when it comes to ISWAP, but this role was, was documented with women uh, who were involved in JAS, which is the group that was led by the former leader of Boko Haram, Abubakar Shikau. Thank you so much, Ella. That's very helpful. I want to actually expand on, on one of the points that you just mentioned around the uh, female suicide bombers uh, in particular in their role that um, they might have uh, within uh, violent extremist groups. We know that sometimes this is not, uh, that this is infrequent, it's not always the case. But how do they differ in terms of, from what we usually see of women's role in Daesh in comparison to some of the examples you've just cited in particular with ISWAP, uh, specifically as it pertains to the role of women uh, in that specific role as suicide bombers in this case? 
So in the Lake Chad Basin region, right, that cover Niger, Nigeria, Cameroon, and Chad, the use of women as suicide bomber is quite common, right? Between June 2014, when Boko Haram actually deployed first female suicide bomber in February 2018, Boko Haram deployed more than 469 women as suicide bomber. But when you come to the Sahel, so central region, central uh, Sahel countries, Mali, Niger, and Burkina Faso, this is more rare, right? Seeing women playing the role of suicide bomber. And if you recall, in April 2018, the group for the support of Islam and Muslim was accused of using a woman during an attack against MUNUSMA and French Operation Bakan. The group actually issued a statement to deny using women as suicide bombers. So while you see in the Lake Chad Basin, the women being used frequently as suicide bombers, we haven't seen this in the in Central Sahel country. Some of the reasons why this group use women, right? First of all, is to gain tactical advantage. And they often do this by playing on stereotypes that portray women as non-violent, discreet, but also perceiving women as being able to easily evade security check. They also use it for strategic reasons, right? Uh, deploying one person that can actually cause a lot of harm, uh, provide group with strategic advantages, uh, but also for propaganda purposes uh, to gain uh, media attention, to gain maturity uh, that help them then recruit both women, but also men by playing on the feeling of pride or Thank you so much, Ella. Uh, that's really clear. And also the different dynamics and tactics that are really deployed. But we also know that women are also targeted by violent extremist groups, uh, including abduction, kidnapping. We, we, we all recall uh, the Shiboko Girls and the Bring Back Our Girls campaign. Kemi, would you be able to tell us uh, why are women targeted? What are some of the reasons why women are abducted and kidnapped and, and targeted in this manner by violent extremist groups? Thank you, Fatma. I think from what we have seen in the field, one reason could is that when the attacks take place, most times, it's at a time the men have gone out or to the farms. And so the women are in the stead, they're at home with the children. So they are easy prey to be looted, so to say, quote and unquote. The second element of it is still linked to the vulnerability of the women. So it also could be linked to the traditional or cultural tendency, I would say, of our people, which is basically, it could be said to be an affront on the men that they are not able to protect their women. So women are easy prey, they are vulnerable, they are there at the time of the attack. It's not easy for women to scout for safety. When you're scouting for safety, you're thinking of the children, you're thinking of the other people around you. So it's the complexity, or should I say, the complexity of the nature of the women folk that makes them easy prey for the violent extremist groups. Thank you. So, so many different ways how women's or the role of women in these organizations are um, exploited, uh, but also leveraged uh, by through recruitment. Um, I'm keen to also hear about how the role of women also play in prevention efforts and counterterrorism efforts. And Kemi, to, to quote you, um, you, you've said previously, when you train a woman, you train an entire community. Can you expand on that? What is the impact that we have by investing in women in these prevention efforts and counterterrorism efforts? 
Women play a crucial role and a very strategic role in the society from the birth even to nurturing and mentoring of their children and providing some form of support to their spouses. And that is the role as a mother, a wife. And then we look at the role within the family, maybe as a sister, is also a role of influence. So you find that even though we say we have a patriarchal system, there is a level of influence that women wield within the society. And if given appropriate enabling environment and appropriate awareness, or should I say, understanding of the role and the critical nature of the issue that is being addressed, you would find most often than not that they would play a more strategic and impactful role. I'll give an example. Some years back, I think it was about 2017, 2018, when the discussion around transitional justice for the Northeast commenced, we implemented a project in Borno State. And we had two cohorts. The first cohort was all men talking about, is it time for us to move forward? And what is the appropriate way or what are the appropriate steps to be taken to move forward? And all the men in the room, without an exception, said, there's no way we can move forward. The issues are very deeply seated and that there's no middle ground, basically. And when we had the similar discussion, facilitated the similar discussion with all female cohorts, yes, initially there were issues of anger, there were issues of how we sure we're ready. And then they started raising certain fundamental issues that we're having our daughters who have been kidnapped returned. They come back and they just do, they don't come back alone, traumatized, but they come back with a baby in their hands. One, at times one, at times two. And for those that were mothers that had daughters that had come back with children or with babies, they were like, they were not happy with the way the girls were being ostracized within the community. They were not happy with the way their grandchildren were being ostracized within the community. And because of that, they're asking what's the way forward. So it was easy for us to discuss with this cohort of women the elements of transitional justice, the elements of communal healing, the elements of moving forward post the conflict compared to working with the men. Um, this is a good example for me of when we say, when you educate a woman, you educate a community. And like we've, we've said this since the beginning of this podcast, that you find women are influencers and women have a way of recruiting. Even the influencing role of women is what you see on the other side of Iswa, that they're being used to recruit others. So it's the same element or the same approach that is now being used on the other side for them to tell the story and for them to get other people on the side of the government, quote and unquote, or the side of the community to move forward. No, thank you so much, Kemi. And, and clearly uh, is showing the, the vast range of the, uh, how women play, but also concrete examples of 
you know, some of the challenges that exist in reintegration. But before we go into the reintegration discussion, um, one of the things I'm interested in hearing more of, and, and perhaps Ella, you could come in here, you know, so we've heard about uh, also in terms of when it comes to prevention efforts, right? The women are the ones in the market. And they are also within the family units where they can see uh, where, where there's early warning from the beginning and, and they, they are aware of things that are happening. Could you expand from your own perspective of, uh, of how you see the role of women in, across uh, the spectrum from prevention and counterterrorism, but also in its role as well, as well within these groups? So one thing that we did as, as part of the research I coordinated was also to look at the situation of women living in contexts where violent extremist groups are present, operate, uh, and sometimes recruit, including forcefully, to actually ask those women who live in those contexts and who didn't join this group, why they didn't join, and what are some of the strategies that they put in place to avoid finding themselves in this group. And we realized that women are already playing important a role at the community level, right? Some women don't join violent extremist groups, and this is something that we need to keep in mind when we think about solutions. Some women join, some women are forced to join in those contests, but other women, they make the conscious choice to not join this group despite all the risk related to uh, not making choice in area where violent extremist groups are present and uh, where women are often targeted for recruitment. Other women also are building what Kemi mentioned about the positive influential role that women played in community. Uh, some of them, we spoke with many women who actually influenced their relative, whether husband uh, or, or kids, decision not to join a violent extremist group or encourage them to leave the group by promising them that they will be uh, integrated in society once they leave those groups. We have cases, for example, where women, but also men told us that their mother or their grandmother threatened to curse them or to disown them uh, if they join uh, whether Boko Haram or Katiba Masina in Mali. And because of that, they, they took the decision not to join this group. So I think it is very important that beyond uh, looking at women as victims, they are victims in contexts where this group are active, but they are also actresses, right? They are actors, uh, they play both negative but also positive role, and they need to be taken into consideration in all decision-making uh, processes, right? Uh, both in understanding, but also in preventing, responding, and evaluating impact of the responses that have been implemented to either prevent and counter violent extremism. Thank you. No, absolutely. And, and you all reinforce um, such important points. And, you know, in other episodes within this podcast, um, we have explored, you know, how women are stigmatized during reintegration processes. Um, but also, as Ella, you also rightfully just mentioned now, it's also in terms of when they do join these DDR programs, um, they're seen as wife of combatants and perhaps not given some of the services and, and, and provisions that are needed and, and to support them. So what would be some of your recommendations, given some of the challenges that exist within these communities, to ensure that we are integrating women back into society well, and that we're also ensuring that in these DDR programs that, they, that we are having a gender lens and also putting women first? What would be some of your reflections and recommendations in this regard? I think the first thing is that we need to go beyond simplistic understanding of women's experiences in context of violent extremism. We really need to question 
and go speak to those women who are in, living in those contests to hear about their experiences, their live experiences, and not make any preconceived idea about why they are joining or not joining those groups. No, thank you so much, Ella. Um, Kemi and Hadisa would like to compliment. Thank you. Thank you very much. I think there should be a bottom-up strategy that will be engaging women in violent extremism efforts. And that will now give them an opportunity for them to now engage themselves. And then uh, the creation of uh, that is that they should be placed in a high uh, situation where they will create a network that are resilient to violent extremism, especially mothers, teachers, and then our learned people, so that they can be able to now use this as a resilient effort. Thank you, Hadisa. And as we're uh, coming towards the end of this podcast, I've heard a lot of uh, things that you guys have emphasized uh, that we need to first go beyond the simplistic understanding of women, you know, move away from assumptions, the importance of education of women, which also can be used in, you know, um, you know, counter narratives and communication efforts in, in terms of prevention. And this very important point that you just made, Hadisa, around, you know, the challenges of lack of inclusion and that we must ensure equity. So for those listening um, uh, on this podcast and really uh, a better understanding uh, the role of women played in violent extremist groups in Iswa, but also in prevention efforts, what are some of the key takeaways and messages that you want to ensure that we leave the listeners with? Uh, Kemi, do you want to start us off perhaps? Yes, I'll say that for me, it's the three P's um, at the heart of um, P1, and that's participation, partnership, and protection. There has to be a way of ensuring effective participation of women across board in policymaking and in implementation, and even in brainstorming to identifying issues that need responses. Um, and in doing that, it's also looking at, uh, that brings us to partnership. So partnership in the sense that even I hear my sister Hadiza say, yes, some women are not educated, but at a certain level, we do not need high level education. What we need is understanding of the issues and comprehension of the system and how this system can be used to address some of the peculiarities or some of the challenges that are on ground. And in able to do that, positive discrimination needs to come into play. And finally, once we have the partnership, participation, positive discrimination processes in place, we're bound to have an inclusive system that would ensure effective protection, not lip service protection, across board for women, girls, and any other person that is vulnerable to violent extremism. Thank you. Thank you. Very clear, uh, especially as eloquently put, participation, partnership, and protection. Um, Sister Hadisa, would you like to go next? Yes. I think women should also have equal access to educational opportunity to become better agent change. And that is what, uh, though my mentor, which is Sister Kevin, which we have worked together in partner uh, in your base, they, I'm one of their facilitators. I agree with you. It's not all that uh, that you should have this high education, but you should be aware, understanding of what is happening in society, so that we can be able to change the society. So they can be good agents if they are well educated. Thank you. Thank you so much. Maybe I will emphasize what I already said about and um, Kimi. Uh, came back on this and Hadiza as well, on the importance that to make sure that responses are inclusive, right? That they engage women 
uh, not only as victim or uh, the tendency that we have seen when women are included, uh, they are only included as actors who can provide information to security forces. I think we need to go beyond that and include women as actors in their own right. Uh, make sure that they need are taken into consideration in any uh, decision that are taken in any responses uh, implemented, and they are also included uh, and they play key role in the implementation uh, of security uh, responses, security on um, security uh, matters that also uh, affect them. Uh, so inclusion of women, engaging women at all levels of decision-making uh, in understanding, but also responding to, to, to violence. Fantastic. Um, I can't thank you three enough, uh, Kemi, Ella and Hadisa, for helping us guide us through these discussions. There's so many instrumental things that were mentioned throughout the discussion and really um, enjoyed the fact that there was a lot of focus on, you know, uh, practical uh, policy recommendations, but also programmatic uh, that could be taken forward to the listeners on ensuring that there's a meaningful uh, inclusion of women in all aspects um, of, of the spectrum when we discuss uh, prevention and, and countering violent extremism. Um, unfortunately, that's it for today's episode, but have a listen to other episodes in the series as we unpack the realities of ISWAP. In the next episode, we'll be asking... How is terrorism funded in the Lake Chad Basin? Please follow or subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I'm Fatma Ahmed. Until next time, goodbye.